Al-Bayan Radio presents the following lesson from Masjid Al-Azhar, Bilmo. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Alhamdulillah. Wa salatu wa salamu ala Rasulillah. Wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa man ihtada bihuda. Amma ba'd. My dear brothers and sisters, we continue tonight with the sharh of Al-Ha'iyyah of the great Imam Abu Bakr ibn Abi Dawood al-Sijistani rahimahullah. And today we take the next line from his poem, his great poem in Aqidah. And in this line, he says, وَدِنْ بِكِتَابِ اللَّهِ وَالسُّنَنِ الَّتِي أَتَتْ عَنْ رَسُولِ اللَّهِ تَنْجُ وَتَرْبَحْ So this line, this great line from his poem, the great Imam Rahimahullah says, and practice your religion according to the book of Allah and the Sunan. And practice your religion according to the book of Allah and the Sunan, the prophetic traditions which have been reported from Allah's Messenger sallallahu alayhi wasallam in order that you will be saved and receive a reward. And before we start the explanation of this line, in the previous line, the Imam rahimahullah after giving the advice to hold firmly onto the rope of Allah azza wa jal and to avoid innovation, and to obey Allah Azza wa Jal, he then says at the end, in order for you to succeed. Or so perhaps you may succeed. And he means by this, do not be deceived by your actions. That's why he says, in hope, in order that you may succeed. Because the believer does not know the reality of himself and where he will end up. And for that reason, the believer is never deceived by his own a'mal. He's never deceived by his own actions. The Sheikh says, rather, or he says, as for the one, who is not mentioned in the Qur'an or the Sunnah, then specifying that he is from the successful ones, we do not affirm for him success. Because according to the correct aqidah, we do not affirm success for anyone after they have passed away. Meaning, we do not say about anyone, no Muslim that passes away, that he is in Jannah. This is something only Allah Azza wa Jal knows. The only ones that we affirm successful are the ones that Allah and His Messenger affirmed for them. Like the Anbiya, the Rusul, like the ten given glad tidings of Jannah, like Bilal radiallahu ta'ala anhu, uh, like Ukkasha radiallahu anhu, and any of the Sahaba who the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam told them that they are in paradise. These are the only ones that we can affirm are in paradise. 
As for the ones that have not been mentioned in the Qur'an or the Sunnah, then we refrain. We have hope for the believer and we fear for the sinner. But we cannot guarantee that anyone is in paradise except who Allah and his messenger have guaranteed for us. But we hope, we say that a Muslim died, inshallah he is in Jannah. Okay? Even the one that dies as a martyr, we hear it very common, he's a shaheed. This is not our judgment, this is not our call. We have hope in Allah Azza wa Jal. But we say he's a shaheed bi'ithnillah. If Allah wills, or insha'Allah. Okay? So it is the aqidah of Ahl-Sunnah that we do not say anyone is in Jannah except who Allah and His Messenger have informed us of. As for everyone else, we have hope for them, but we cannot guarantee who is in paradise from the Muslims or not. And the reason why he says so that perhaps you will succeed is so that the Muslim is not deceived by his actions. Rather, it is upon you to perform righteous actions, hoping that Allah makes you from the successful. This is the correct understanding of the religion. That you perform your a'mal, you do your good deeds in hope that Allah Azza wa Jal makes you from the successful ones. The Sheikh says, do not merely rely upon hope without performing actions. Do not rely on hope without performing actions. Because having hope with no action is delusion. This is delusion. And as the Sheikh says, this is the methodology of the misguided ones. That's the methodology of the misguided. And by the misguided here... He means a sect that came out in the early generations known as the Murji'a. The Murji'a are the ones who have what's known as Irja'a. And the word Irja'a comes from hope, from Raja'a. It comes from hope. So you can translate them as the hopers. And the reason why they're called that is because they had hope in Allah, too much hope in Allah and no fear of Allah. And that's why the Murji'a, they believed that if you die upon major sins, as long as you have Iman in your heart, even if you do not perform any actions, you will enter paradise. So according to the Murji'a, Iman is belief in the heart. So as long as you believe in Allah, you will enter Jannah no matter what you do. But it's very similar to Christianity. It's very similar to Christianity, as long as you believe in the Father, the Son, the Holy Ghost, doesn't matter what you do, Jesus died for your sins and whatever else, and you're going to paradise. Very similar belief, subhanAllah. And the Salaf refuted the Murji'a, because they had hope in Allah with no fear. They said, as long as you believe, doesn't matter what you do, zina, alcohol, murder, doesn't matter, you'll enter paradise guaranteed. For this is delusion. This type of hope is not good. This is false hope. The good hope, as the scholars have mentioned, is two. The first is when you perform a righteous action and you hope Allah accepts it. That's a good hope. Because you should never perform a righteous action and think Allah will not accept it. 
This is having bad thoughts of Allah. So you should always have good hope. And good hope is when you do the amal, you perform your righteous deed, and then you hope that Allah accepts it. That's a good hope. The second good hope is that when you've performed the sin and you've repented from it, you have hope Allah accepted your repentance, your tawbah. This is good hope. And these are the only two good hopes. The first is when you do a good deed and you hope Allah accepts it. The second is when you've committed a sin and you've repented from it sincerely, you have hope Allah accepted it. Why is that a good hope? Because some people, shaitan gets the better of them. They repent from a sin, but the shaitan makes them think, no matter what I do, Allah will not accept my tawbah. And Allah Azza wa Jal does not like this quality. Allah wants you to have good hope that if you've repented from the sin, Allah will accept it from you. If you repented from the sin, Allah Azza wa Jal will accept that from you. Then we move on to the next line where he says, Wadin bikitabillah and practice and practice. Meaning follow the book of Allah and the sunnah in your religion. Look at this great advice from the Salaf. Follow the book of Allah and the sunnah in your religion. Make your actions in accordance to the book of Allah and the sunnah. When you perform an action, make your action in accordance to the kitab and the sunnah of his messenger sallallahu alayhi wasallam, And not from your desires. And do not perform actions of innovations and newly invented matters. The Sunan. Practice your religion from the book of Allah and the Sunan. What is the Sunan? The Sunan is the plural for the Sunnah. The, sun, the Sunan is the Jama', the plural of the word Sunnah. Which means the methodology of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam, his way, the way of Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam is his sunnah. And the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam in the hadith said, "Alaykum bi sunnati." For you is to observe, follow my sunnah. This was the advice of Muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam, meaning my way, follow. My way. But there is a Islamic definition of the word sunnah. The word sunnah, as the Sheikh mentions here, defined by the scholars of hadith, is that which has been authentically conveyed, narrated. From the sayings of the Prophet ﷺ. So anything authentically narrated from the Prophet ﷺ sayings. And the Prophet ﷺ's actions. And the Prophet ﷺ's approvals. What he approved of. And also his description. Both his character and his physical. This is how the scholars of hadith define the sunnah. Again, the sunnah according to the scholars of hadith 
is everything that has been authentically narrated from the Prophet ﷺ from sayings. So whatever the Prophet ﷺ said is his sunnah. Or what he performed from actions. If the Prophet ﷺ performed an action, that's his sunnah. Or he approved of, meaning something that was performed in the life of the Prophet ﷺ by one of the companions and the Prophet ﷺ approved it. If the Prophet ﷺ approved a saying or an action of a Sahabi, that becomes the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ. Why? Because the Prophet ﷺ, when Allah sent him as the Rasul, it was forbidden, it was haram for the Prophet ﷺ to see or hear something incorrect and remain silent. He wasn't allowed. If the Prophet ﷺ saw a companion doing something in the religion incorrect, it was an order from Allah, he had to correct him. If he heard something incorrect, it was an order from Allah, he had to correct it. So when the Prophet ﷺ sees or hears something and he approves it, that means it's been approved by Allah. This is the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ. So his approvals. And there are many sunan that came like this, where the Prophet ﷺ approved of it. Like for example the adhan. What we say in Adhan. The Prophet ﷺ himself did not teach us how to make Adhan. The Adhan, as in Sahih Bukhari mentions, was a companion who saw a dream. A companion who saw a dream. And before the, the legislation of the Adhan, they were discussing how should we call people to the Adhan. And one of the suggestions from the Sahaba was with a bill. We'll call to the Adhan with a bill. So then a companion had a dream that night where he saw a man with a bill and he told him, let me buy the bill off you because we need it to call the prayer. So then the man said to him, rather than the bill, let me teach you a better way to call to the prayer. And that was an angel. And then he taught him the Adhan to the companion. Then the next morning, that sahabi told the Prophet ﷺ, I saw in my dream a man tell me to call to the salah, one, two, three. And he made the adhan. The Prophet ﷺ said, indeed, that was an angel. So the Prophet ﷺ approved of it. But it became his sunnah. And there's many others, like Bilal radiallahu anhu, who used to make wudu, and then pray two rak'at after the wudu. The Prophet ﷺ heard his footsteps in Jannah. So he asked Bilal, what do you do for me to hear your footsteps in paradise? He said, I don't know, Ya Rasulullah, except whenever I make wudu, I pray two rak'at. Prophet ﷺ said, that's why. So if what Bilal done was incorrect, the Prophet ﷺ had to correct him. But because he approved it, he became a sunnah. So the Prophet ﷺ sayings, his actions, his approvals, and his description. Description means his character. The Prophet ﷺ was generous. The Prophet ﷺ was humble. The Prophet ﷺ was courageous. 
The Prophet ﷺ was generous. All of these qualities are from the Prophet ﷺ, so it's a sunnah to have these qualities. And his physical appearance. The Prophet ﷺ had a beard. And whatever else the Prophet ﷺ looked like in appearance. This is all from the sunnah according to the scholars of hadith. The Shaykh says, thus we see that sunnah has a general meaning, which is the methodology that the Prophet ﷺ was upon. And likewise, it has a more specific meaning, which is the definition given by the scholars of hadith. And this indicates the necessity of taking the sunnah as a source for deducting Islamic law along with the Qur'an. It is crucial that we make the sunnah a source in deriving the ahkam, in deriving the laws of Allah Azza wa Jal, because the sunnah is the second source of Islam after the Qur'an. We have the Qur'an and we have the sunnah. And the sunnah, the scholars of fiqh, have developed principles whereby they are able to extract rulings. The fuqaha, my brothers and sisters, are the scholars of jurisprudence, the scholars of fiqh. The job of the faqih is to look into the sources and derive rulings. Halal, haram. So the fuqaha... They have developed principles where they are able to extract rulings. Some of these principles are agreed upon, and some there is a khilaf. But there are four, three or four, which are agreed upon. Meaning they are the source where we derive the rulings from. The first of them is the Qur'an. All the scholars agree that we take rulings from the Qur'an. No one disagrees with this. The second is the sunnah. None of the scholars of Islam differ in this. The Prophet ﷺ sunnah is one of the sources that we derive rulings from. Because it is the second revelation after the Qur'an. The sunnah is the second revelation from Allah after the Qur'an. And there are many proofs that prove this. Allah Azza wa Jal says, وَمَا آتَاكُمُ الرَّسُولُ فَخُذُوهُ وَمَا نَهَاكُمْ عَنْهُ فَانْتَهُوا Whatsoever the Messenger sallallahu alayhi wasallam gives you, take it, and whatever he forbids you, abstain from it. Here Allah is telling us, whatever the Prophet sallallahu gives you, take it. That shows that the sunnah is legislation. The sunnah is law. The sunnah is revelation from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And Allah azza wa jal also said, فَلْيَحْذَرِ الَّذِينَ يُخَالِفُونَ عَنْ أَمْرِهِ أَنْ تُصِيبَهُمْ فِتْنَةٌ أَوْ يُصِيبَهُمْ عَذَابٌ أَلِيمٌ This is a warning. Allah Azza wa Jal says, And let those who oppose Allah's Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and his commandment, let them beware. Look, Allah is giving a warning to who? Those who oppose the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And people ask, 
Why do you always focus and warn against innovation? Subhanallah. Look what Allah Azza wa Jal is saying. Let those who oppose the Prophet Sallallahu beware. Beware of what? And tusibahum fitna. Let them beware that a fitna will befall them. And as the scholars of the Salaf in the past said, fitna here means they will fall into shirk and misguidance. And that's the reality. Whoever opposes the Prophet ﷺ and his path will fall into shirk and misguidance. And tusibahum fitnatun aw yusibahum adabun alim. So either a fitna will fall them, before them, or a painful punishment. This is a promise from Allah for everyone who opposes the Prophet So this is the second source in Islam. The Sunnah is the second source in Islam. And Allah Azza wa Jal described the Prophet with a great description. Allah says about him, وَمَا يَنْطِقُ عَنِ الْهَوَى إِنْ هُوَ إِلَّا وَحْيٌ يُوحَى Allah says, he does not speak of his own desire. Muhammad wasallam does not speak from himself. It is only a revelation which is revealed. It is only a revelation which is revealed. One of the Sahaba by the name of Abdullah ibn Amr radiyallahu ta'ala anhu as he mentions in the hadith he said I used to write everything I heard from the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam and this is a refutation against the enemies of Islam who try to claim that the sunnah was only compiled hundreds of years after the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam and that's a lie the Sahaba used to write the hadith of the Prophet Sallallahu Abdullah ibn Amr, he said, I used to write everything I heard from the Prophet Sallallahu He said, then Quraysh, the kuffar of Quraysh, they began to mock him. And they said, do you write everything that Muhammad Sallallahu says? And he's just a human. He speaks out of anger and pleasure. In other words, they're putting down Abdullah. Why do you write everything? So Abdullah said, so I stopped writing. So then I told the Prophet ﷺ what Quraysh said to me. So the Prophet ﷺ said, Oh Abdullah, continue to write. He said, continue to write. For by Allah, nothing exits from this except the truth. This is our aqidah. And that's why we must have full certainty and yaqeen that whatever the Prophet ﷺ taught his ummah was from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Even the sahaba, when one time the Prophet ﷺ told them, I speak nothing but the truth. They said to him, Ya Rasulullah, and you also joke with us. You also joke with us. Then again he said it. I speak nothing but the truth. But this is the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam. But his sunnah is revelation from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. 
And for this reason, the people of knowledge have described the Sunnah as the second revelation after the Quran. And that's why the Salaf used to say, the pious predecessors, they would say that Jibreel alayhi salam came down with the Sunnah just as he came down with the Quran. The same way Jibreel came down with the Quran, he also came down with the Sunnah. If we are to ask the brothers, we can't ask the sisters downstairs because we can't hear them. But if we ask the brothers, what's the difference between the Quran and the Sunnah? If they are both revelation from Allah Azza wa Jal. Does anyone know? Can anyone give us an accurate answer? Ahsan. MashaAllah. Very good. So the Quran and the Sunnah, my brothers and sisters, are both revelation from Allah. Allah gave the Quran and the Sunnah to Jibreel alayhi salam and he gave them both to the Prophet The only difference between the Quran and the Sunnah is that the Quran is the wording is from Allah and the meaning is from Allah. That's the Quran. The wording and the meaning is from Allah. As for the Sunnah, the meaning is from Allah, but the Prophet ﷺ worded it. This is the only difference. But from the source, they both are from Allah Azza wa Jal as revelation. They are both revelation from Allah. He says, whatever has been authentically narrated from the Messenger ﷺ, it is incumbent upon us to accept wholeheartedly. If we learn a hadith has been authentically reported from the Prophet ﷺ, it's obligatory on us as Muslims that we accept the hadith with full submission. Following and implementing it. And it is the same whether the narration reported, the narration is reported by the plethora of narrators, or if the narration is reported from a single group of narrators. This is in opposition to those who innovate, rejecting the sunnah with their saying, we suffice ourselves with acting according to the Qur'an only. So here the Sheikh is giving us another fundamental point. And that is regarding the acceptance of the sunnah. The sunnah, my brothers and sisters, we must accept. The sheikh says regardless if the hadith is mutawatir or ahad. And what this means is in the science of hadith, you have hadith that is mutawatir and you have hadith that is ahad. A mutawatir hadith is a hadith that came on plenty of chains. A hadith that came on plenty of chains. A ahad hadith has less than 10 chains. Less than 10 chains. Some scholars said up to three. Anyway, some of the people of innovation, they introduced an innovation. And what was that innovation? They said when it comes to matters of aqidah, when it comes to matters of creed, belief, 
If a hadith is not mutawatir, meaning if it doesn't have a lot of chains, we don't accept it. But we accept it in seerah, we accept it in fiqh, we accept it in history, we accept it in tafsir and whatever else. But when it comes to aqidah, our belief, we can only take that which is mutawatir. And this is a common statement from people of innovation today, such as the Asha'ira. The Asha'ira are upon this view. So now they've distinguished between the Sunnah. They said if the chain has a lot of, if the hadith has a lot of chains, we take it in aqidah. If it doesn't have a lot of chains, if it's ahad, then we do not accept it in aqidah. The Sheikh is saying here, we accept the Sunnah in everything, regardless if the hadith is mutawatir or ahad. Because a hadith being mutawatir or ahad does not affect its authenticity. A hadith can be sahih even if it has one chain. And there are plenty of ahadith in Islam, in Bukhari, Muslim and many. Plenty of ahadith, believe it or not, most of the hadith in Islam is ahad. The mutawatir hadith is little compared to the ahad. So Ahl-Sunnah wal-Jama'ah does not make this differentiation. And subhanallah, the people of innovation do. And believe it or not, they created the entire principle just to reject one particular hadith. And that's the hadith of the slave lady. When the Prophet wasallam asked her, where is Allah? And she said, Fissama, and she pointed up to the heavens. So, and we know the people of innovation, they deny that Allah is above the heavens. They say, no, Allah is not above the heavens. They either say Allah is everywhere, or they say Allah exists without a place. But this hadith clearly opposes them. Because when she pointed up to the heavens, the Prophet ﷺ told her master Muawiyah radiallahu anhu, Free her, she's a believer. So the Prophet ﷺ affirmed she's a believer from her answer. That Allah is above the heavens and she pointed up. So when you forward this hadith to the people of innovation, they can't deny its authenticity. The hadith is in Sahih Muslim. So what do they resort to? This filthy quality. They say, yeah, the hadith is Sahih, but it's a khabar ahad. It's not mutawatir, so we can't accept it in aqidah. So they've created a principle to reject the sunnah. That's basically what it is. They've created a principle to indirectly reject the sunnah. Ahlul sunnati wal jama'ah does not look at whether a hadith is ahad or mutawatir. What Ahlul sunnah looks at is if a hadith is sahih or not. And as long as the hadith is sahih, Ahl-Sunnah accepts it. And this was the madhab of Imam al-Shafi'i. Imam al-Shafi'i, who the Asha'ira claimed to follow. Yeah, speak to the Asha'ira, they'll tell you I'm a Shafi'i in madhab. The majority of them. Okay, let's see what Imam al-Shafi'i said. Imam al-Shafi'i rahimahullah said, إِذَا صَحَّ الْحَدِيثِ فَهُوَ مَذْهَبِي Imam al-Shafi'i, he said if the hadith is authentic, 
it's my madhab. He didn't say if the hadith is mutawatir, it's my madhab. He said if the hadith is sahih. That's all that matters for Ahlul Sunnah. So Ahlul Sunnah, my brothers and sisters, their heart, you find it always open to the Qur'an and the Sunnah. The people of innovation, because of their deviance, they find sour bitterness in their heart towards some of the ahadith because it doesn't agree with their desires. And for that reason, they will manipulate the religion in this way. They will come up with these types of principles in order to reject the sunnah without openly rejecting the sunnah. That's the quality of the people of innovation. The Sheikh says, it is well known and confirmed that acting according to the Sunnah is indeed acting according to the Quran. When you act according to the Sunnah, automatically you're acting according to the Quran. Because the Sheikh is also refuting the Quranis, the ones who claim to follow the Quran and not the Sunnah. The ones who claim we only need the Quran, we don't need the Sunnah. This is a lie. You cannot do with the Qur'an unless you have the Sunnah. They work hand in hand together. The Sunnah explains the Qur'an. So whoever says, I follow the Qur'an without the Sunnah is a liar. Because whoever rejects the Sunnah has automatically rejected the Qur'an. Automatically. As Allah says, وَمَا آتَاكُمُ الرَّسُولُ فَخُذُوا Whatever the Prophet ﷺ gives you, take it. That verse there destroys the argument of the Qur'aniyun. The ones who claim that we only take the Qur'an. Because Allah is saying, whatever the Prophet gives you, take it. So how can you claim to follow the Qur'an when the Qur'an is telling you follow Muhammad ﷺ and then you're rejecting his sunnah? This is ridiculous. But this is misguidance. And the Prophet ﷺ, he prophesied these people. He knew that they would come, those who reject the Sunnah. And Allah Azza wa Jal says, "May yuti Rasul faqad ata Allah." He who obeys the Messenger ﷺ has obeyed Allah. So we cannot follow the Quran unless we follow the Sunnah. And Allah says, وَاتَّبِعُوهُ لَعَلَّكُمْ تَهْتَدُونَ And follow him. Who? Muhammad wasallam, So that you may be guided. Follow him so that you may be guided. So how can I claim to be on guidance if I'm not following the Prophet and his way? And the proofs for this are many. The proofs for this are many. And Allah says, وَأَطِيعُوا الرَّسُولَ لَعَلَّكُمْ تُرْحَمُونَ and obey the messenger that you may receive mercy from Allah. So we see that these unfortunate misguided ones lie with their statement when they say we act only according to the Quran. When it is the case that they have indeed neglected the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ. It is impossible to follow the Quran Without following the Sunnah. And this is what our Prophet taught us. This is what Allah taught us, and this is what the Sahaba taught us. There's a great narration for Abdullah ibn Mas'ud, radiallahu ta'ala, 
عنهم عبد الله بن مسعود a lady once approached him and she said how can you say that plucking the eyebrows is haram when Allah did not speak about this in the Quran look at her question how can you say plucking the eyebrows is haram when Allah did not mention this in the Quran and then to add salt to the wound she made an accusation against him as well she said to him and your wife plucks her eyebrows as well that's what she said so Abdullah ibn Mas'ud radiyallahu anhu the great sahabi the great mufassir of the Quran Ibn Abbas and Ibn Mas'ud my brothers and sisters they are two companions who had the greatest understanding of the Quran after of course Abu Bakr and Umar and the, the giants of the Sahaba but them too Ibn Abbas the Prophet وسلم, made dua for him Allahumma faqihu fi din wa allimhu ta'wil Oh Allah give this young man understanding of the religion and teach him the meaning of the Quran Imagine that dua from the Prophet and that's why Ibn, Ibn Abbas was from the greatest mufassirin of the Quran Abdullah ibn Mas'ud radiallahu anhu he himself said there is not a single verse in the Quran except that I asked the Prophet about its meaning and why it came down so it's like he went through the entire tafsir with the Prophet what knowledge does he have? So when this lady said this to Ibn Mas'ud, Ibn Mas'ud radiallahu anhu, he said to her, but it is mentioned in the Quran. So the lady was shocked. She said, I've read the Quran from cover to cover. I've never come across a word, uh, a verse speaking about plucking the eyebrows. He said to her, if you read the Quran from cover to cover, you would have come across the verse, وَمَا آتَاكُمُ الرَّسُولُ فَخُذُوهُ Whatever the Prophet ﷺ gives you, take it. And whatever he prohibits you from, stay away from it. So is it in the Qur'an or not, Ibrahim? 100% it's in the Qur'an. Everything the Prophet ﷺ came with is from Allah. And that's our belief. Then Abdullah ibn Mas'ud said to her, radiallahu anhu, he said, and my wife does not pluck her eyebrows. So the lady went to double check. She came back and she said, yeah, you're right. She doesn't pluck her eyebrows. He said, yes, because if she did, I would have divorced her. That's the Sahaba, radiallahu ta'ala, anhum. They did not take these matters lightly. And that's an advice to our sisters to fear Allah with their eyebrows and not take the matter Lightly, because the plucking of the eyebrows, it earns the curse of Allah Azza wa Jal. And the curse of Allah means to be removed from His mercy. And if we do not have Allah's mercy, we are destroyed. We are destroyed. And that's why we must always avoid any sin that earns the curse of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Inshallah, we will continue next week, bi-idhnillahi ta'ala with the remaining uh, explanation of this 
verse from the poem. Wallahu a'lam wa sallallahu wa sallam wa barak ala nabina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa sallam. This program was presented by Al Bayan Radio, the voice of Ahlus Sunnah wal Jama'ah.